Welcome to Be Flossom, the Good Enough Podcast. This show encourages entrepreneurs to embrace their flaws and be awesome, promote their business without shame on social media, and grow it to support the life they truly desire to live. I'm your host, Anita Kirkbride, social media trainer and brainstormer extraordinaire, founder of the Flossom League Social Media Academy for Business and Twerp Communications, Inc. So today I am speaking with Deborah Fryer. Deborah is a spiritual business coach and mindset mentor for creative entrepreneurs, helping you build your six or seven figure business, doing what you love without selling your soul or working a gazillion hours. And I can already tell that we're going to have a great conversation today because I resonate a lot with that message without selling your soul or working a gazillion hours. And anybody that's been hanging out with me in the No BS Social Media Blueprint or here in the podcast, you know that I don't want anybody to sell their soul and I don't want anybody to work a gazillion hours to support their business. So I'm really looking forward to this conversation. Deborah, thanks for joining me. Thanks for inviting me. So why don't you tell us, first of all, what's a spiritual business coach? Because that's a new one for me and maybe for a lot of other people. A lot of people, and I was one of those people, hold this idea that is you can't be spiritual and make money. If you are spiritual, if you're a yoga teacher or a Reiki master or an intuitive or a light worker, or in any way you align with an awareness that there's something bigger than you, something beyond you that is creating you, that is contributing to your life, your lifestyle, your livelihood, your life force itself. If you have an awareness that there's something bigger than you, for a lot of people, they haven't bridged the gap of, oh, that thing that's bigger than me is in me. It is creating me. So there's a split. And this actually was one of the biggest struggles that I had before I started my business, which was I'm a yoga teacher, I'm a meditator, and I'm very spiritual. I'm very arty. And therefore I'm not going to make money. And I had this idea, I had this very entrenched belief of I'm a starving artist and you know, yes, I'm an artist and yes, I'm committed to starving. You cannot, you know, move beyond that. If you keep telling yourself I'm a starving artist. So when I began to teach what I now teach, it actually came through in meditation. I was on my way to medical school. I thought, even though I have a PhD in comparative literature, I thought I'm not a real doctor. So I had this habit of discounting myself, of disqualifying myself. So I thought I need a real degree, even though a PhD is a real degree. In my mind, you know, I was so down on myself and I felt like such an imposter. So I felt like I need to go to medical school and get a real degree and then I'll have a real paycheck and then I'll have real respect. And it was in the middle of this phase of, you know, I could call it now supreme self-deprecation, but I didn't see it as it then I thought I actually needed to go out and get another degree and, you know, get more respect and get a consistent stream of patients that somebody else was going to set up for me through the medical journey. And so I was working in an anatomy lab and I was just like living, breathing anatomy. And I was in meditation and I realized I saw this whole vision of what is now the seed of all the programs and courses that I offer, which is called the anatomy of money. And so it was through meditation, through this spiritual practice that I actually saw my business. I saw the seed of my business and it dropped in like a seed drops into the earth and it began to take root and to sprout in me. And then I eventually began teaching it and sharing it. And in the beginning, it was 
It's funny to me because I was so embarrassed about this accidental wealth that was happening. I used to mm. really, really struggle. I was $100,000 in debt. I was constantly hustling and chasing and working multiple jobs. I was teaching 14 hours of yoga a week, which is a lot of wow, yoga. That is a lot. Actually, not, I was teaching 14 classes a week. So it's mm -hmm. more than 14 hours because each class was 90 minutes. And I was also a freelance writer. I was a copywriter. I was a researcher. I was a filmmaker. I was doing so many things. And a lot of it I wasn't even charging for because I was afraid to have the money. Because if I had the money, then I couldn't be the spiritual person that mm -hmm. I thought I was. I, like, I had all these inner conflicting beliefs. And when I started doing the anatomy of money work that I now teach, my income went up, I five X'd my income and then it doubled and then it doubled again. And all of a sudden, like 25 pounds of extra weight that I had been carrying just fell away without me doing anything. And people were coming up to me and they'd be like, Deborah, what are you doing? And I'd say, oh, no, no, nothing. Like, it's so weird. It's so, and you can't see me now, but I'm closing my eyes. I'm, I'm covering my face because I had this experience of, of shame. Like I can't be a six figure entrepreneur. Nobody's going to want to be my friend, right? Like I was so mm. conflicted about being spiritual and making money. And so that's why I'm calling myself now a spiritual business mentor, because I'm bringing together things that were never separate. We compartmentalize them down here on the earth plane, but in truth, there is nothing more abundant than source. I find this really fascinating because I am maybe the opposite of you. I'm so not spiritual. I feel like I'm not anyway. Maybe you see something different, but I have a really hard time with meditation. Whenever I talk to a coach, they give me a visualization exercise. I'm one of those people that doesn't actually see the picture. I'm there, I'm trying, I'm thinking about it, but I don't see it the way some people see it. So do you have tips for people who maybe want to go down that route and become more spiritual in their business. Because for me, I mean, I've had conversations with spiritual business coaches, I guess, in a way, and they're just like, yeah, you're just not getting it. <laughs> uh -huh, uh -huh. You know, I hear this a lot. I hear this a lot from clients. I hear this a lot from people who want to meditate. And this was something that was also a challenge for me in the beginning. And when we live in our heads, we notice that we say things like, I have to figure it out. I'm trying. I don't get it. Mm -hmm. um, let me think about it. And you're going to notice these kinds of words come out of the mouths of your clients as well, right? When you make an invitation to, do you want to work with me? And they'll say, oh, I need to think about mm -hmm. it, or I have to figure it out. And we run this, this belief and it comes from the age of enlightenment. I think, therefore I am. That is incorrect. You are, your existence precedes your ability to think. And so, you know, if we've never examined this, we'll walk around in a very conditional existence, which is I can only operate from my head. I will think about it. I will figure it out. I will, you know, do more research. I mean, how many people do you know who just research and research and research and research and research? Oh, let me Google that. And they never take action. They never press send. They never write the email. They never make the video because they're air quote, not ready. And when you're living in your head, you never feel ready because your head is not the action taker. The whole rest of your body is the action taker. The whole rest of your body, the 95% of you that is not your conscious brain, the 95% of the rest of you, that's not your consciousness. That's not your conscious thinking, analyzing logical brain needs to get on board. You know, the 5% of us neuroscientists say that about 5% of our decisions, our actions, our habits, our beliefs are conscious. 
and all the rest is subconscious. Mm -hmm. So what you're looking at when you say, oh, I can't meditate, you just haven't learned to trust, to honor, to listen to the 95% of the rest of you that's in the room always. You know, that 95% of the subconscious part of you is never not with you. There is no part of you that is not. There is no part of you that is not breathing right now. And breath is spirit. Mm. So, you know, just the belief alone, I'm not spiritual. You can delete that, put a little cursor at the front of it, put a little cursor at the end, highlight it and click delete because you're breathing right now. And breath is life force. Breath is animating and informing every cell of you, every cell of every organ, every tissue, all of you is here right now mm. because of breath, which is mm -hmm. spirit. So you are spiritual. You are made of spirit. There is no part of you that is not. And you might not have a relationship with what's you know out there because when we feel like we have to figure everything out ourselves, we're in our own little bubble. But you are spiritual, even though you're like, oh, I don't think I am. You can't not be. You can't be here and not have a relationship with spirit. And when you're not in your body, you're all spirit. Yeah, it does make sense. And I think what I'm hearing you tell me is the same thing that I tell a lot of small business owners is that if I want to be more spiritual or want to feel more spiritual, I have to just start. <laughs> I have to just do it, right? I have oh. to do it and grow from there. I can't, I'm never going to be ready. I need to just start doing it. I would love to reframe this. May I? Yeah, absolutely. I feel so like I'm getting a coaching session. <laughs> It's just, it's a different perspective. I love personal development and there is this one personal development test. It's free. You can get it online. It's called VIA strengths finder. And my number one strength is perspective. And, you know, this is why I can see things from multiple different perspectives. I know it comes from my filmmaking experience. Mm -hmm. So I wouldn't frame the quest as I want to be more spiritual. You already are. You already are. So it's not a quest for being more of anything. Mm -hmm. It's simply about allowing what you already are to be present rather than resisting it. There's a Rumi quote that goes something like, our quest is not to seek for love, but to seek all the barriers we have against it. And being spiritual is the way that you express you. It's the way that you're soul expresses you and each one of us will have that expression differently. So my way of connecting with the trees and the flowers is no better than your way of helping people, you know, organize and strategize their businesses. It's not that spiritual is mm -hmm. good and something else is not good. You know, like a flower, let's say a, a rose bush doesn't look at the lilac and say, you smell better than I do. The pine tree doesn't look mm -hmm. down at the, I don't know, the maple tree and say, your leaves are prettier than mine. Like this kind of comparison thing is really irrelevant mm -hmm. because each one of us is unique in the way that we are, that we choose to be. So does that help? Like yeah, a, a little. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I love a good reframe. I'm always open to hearing things from a different perspective because we all get stuck in the habits of the way we think of things. So yeah. Interesting. You have to start paying attention to your breath. Try to hold your breath, breathe in for five and then hold it for five. 
And see if you can allow your shoulders to relax and your heart to relax and feel the pelvic floor supporting the breath. And then exhale for five and just be empty. And a lot of people at this point, they're like, oh my gosh, I can't, can't be empty. I got to take another breath. I can't be empty. Yeah. Meanwhile, I'm thinking, no, I can't let my shoulders down. Right. I can't, can't let my shoulders down. That's why I'm going for a massage as soon as we're done talking today. <laughs> start with something really simple. Like I'm going to follow my breath. Mm -hmm. Or here's another really simple, really obvious way that you can see the universe is constantly moving through you. Most people don't ever think about this, but it's so obvious. Drink water. At some point, it's going to move through you and you're mm -hmm. going to pee it out. It will eat mm -hmm. food. At some point, it's going to move through you. With breath, you breathe in. At some point, you're going to let it back out. Everything is moving in and out like the tide. And you live in Nova Scotia, so you've got the most fabulous tides in the planet. The Bay we of Fundy, massive, massive tides. And that same ebb and flow is happening through you. It's happening in your business where clients come to you and then they're complete and they move on, where money comes in and it moves out. All of this in and out, ebb and flow, giving and receiving is who you are. And it's what you're here, what each one of us is here to do. We start with the giving and then the receiving happens after. So how does that all relate to money? How does that all relate to the anatomy of money? So it relates to money. When you think about the tide, the tide is, which way is the water going? Have you ever been to the, I think it's called the reversing river or the reversing tide? Reversing falls. Yeah. Yes. Reversing falls. Uh -huh. And the water's moving this way and it's moving this way at the same time. Mm -hmm. If you ever stood at the shore of the ocean, you have the perception that the water's coming in, but as you stand there, you can feel it moving out from beneath where you stand, right? Mm -hmm. It's moving in both directions. It's this circular movement all the time. And money is the same way. It is moving in and out. It is moving in and out. It is moving in and out. And money wants to flow. The word currency, contains this, right? Current mm -hmm. is about flow. We talk about cash flow. We talk about being liquid. We talk about affluence or influence, which has to do with flow. The word flu has to do with flow. Abundance, that word unda means wave because money flows, it circulates like breath. And money is truly energy. It's not a thing mm -hmm. that you have or that you hold on to, it wants to flow through your business. And a lot of people get, air quote, stuck in their business because they think they have to go out there to get something before the money will flow, which is backwards. If you want to make more money, you need to start giving more. Mm -hmm. And the more you give, the more you create, the more you serve, the faster money will flow your way. When I was a little kid, I had a lemonade stand on the corner <laughs> and, uh, you know, it was near a park and people would mm -hmm. come and they'd want lemonade. So if I had set up the lemonade stand and all I had was a table and a sign that said lemonade and here's the price, but I had nothing to sell, I could never make money, mm -hmm. right? I actually had to make the lemonade first. I had to have the cups on the table. I had to have the pitcher on the table. I had to have the lemons and the sugar. And, you know, like people needed to see, oh my gosh, I'm so thirsty. That looks great. And it had to be there for them so that they could buy it. And then the people came and then they bought it. But I had to be the one who created the lemonade first. 
And this is true in your business. You need to be the one to create the content first, to create the ebook, to create the videos, to create the webinar or the podcast or whatever your creative juju is, the paintings, the books, you know, however you want to create, there are so many ways for people to create things, especially now there's so much creativity since the pandemic. Have you noticed? Like, oh yeah. Yeah. That are being created. And so people create stuff and then they put it out there and they're like, Hey, look what I created. You want some? And then people are like, Oh yeah, I want that. Yeah. I mean, it's so simple. If you create it, then people can see it's available and they'll come and get it. But if you're going to wait for people to come to you before you've created something, they'll show up and you won't have anything to give them. And then they'll go away. They'll find somebody else who's got the lemonade. Yeah. I mean, I have a lot of thoughts on what you just said, but you're reminding me of TikTok creators as one example. The pandemic hit, everybody's locked in basically. And a lot of people started creating TikTok personas about a year ago right now. And now they're saying, oh my gosh, a year ago, I jumped on this platform just for fun. And here I am now making a full-time income from creating content on here. Mm -hmm. People didn't even know what they needed until they started seeing these creators creating things there. And the creativity on a platform like TikTok just blows my mind the way that people can do things on there. So I think it's just really interesting to see how that right there has worked. So I know you talked about putting the content out there and you've been putting lots of content out there. One of the things we like to talk about on this podcast are not necessarily flops, but things that maybe didn't go quite as planned or things that you put out there in terms of content that weren't You didn't wait for them to be absolutely perfect before you put them out because we know perfection just does not exist, right? And the pursuit of perfection just keeps us in a constant state of stress. So tell us about some of the things that you have put out there on social media for your business that were flossom. I love this question. So I think about the very first webinar I ever did, and I was scared to be visible. So the very first webinar I ever did was on the phone and I had written out this whole thing and I'd gone over it with my coach and I'd practiced it. And I like had a script. I was going to read from the script. I was going to do this first webinar. And the day came for the webinar. I was in Hawaii. I was flying home and my computer died. The motherboard of my computer died. (laughs) So the very first webinar I did, I had no script. I got on the phone because I had sent out an email to all these people and there were however many people there were. And I did the first webinar without a script. So, you know, you could call that a flop because I'd spent so many months preparing this thing and getting it ready and having it reviewed and editing it and like getting it to be this perfect essay as though somebody was going to grade me on it. Right. Mm -hmm. And then I didn't actually have anything except what I knew in my being to teach from. And so that was one. When I think about the very first video I ever made, this cracks me up. So I was working with a coach who said, I want you to make a video. This is going to be totally private. It's just for our private Facebook group. I want you to make a video about, I don't know what you learned, or I I don't even know what the guidelines were, but it was just going to make a three minute video. So this is my first video ever. And I had massive, massive visibility issues, meaning I did not feel safe being seen. I felt like people were going to judge me. They weren't going to like me. I was doing it wrong. Everything about me was wrong. And so I tried to make the video. Notice how I use the word tried. This Mm -hmm. is what happens when you're in your head. 
I tried to make the video. I watched it. I thought it S-U-C-K-E-D. So I deleted it. I made it again. I still thought it was terrible hour after hour after hour. So finally I thought after about four hours and I'm really frustrated and there's a deadline to do this, by the way, like the video had to be done by whatever, 10 o'clock at night. And the winner of the video was going to get a private coaching one-on-one with this high muckety-muck coach that I was working with. And I was just like in her low level program Mm -hmm. and I really wanted like her help. So I wanted to do the video. So I asked my husband, can you help me do the video? So why don't you come downstairs? So he comes downstairs, you hold the camera. I'll look at you. I'll be full of love and it'll be easier. So I look at my husband and I'm still tongue tied. I'm so self-conscious. I'm so uncomfortable. So finally I decide I'm just going to take off my pants. Like I'm going to stand there naked <laughs> to see if I can like get some energy, like get some juice going that I'm like, Oh my God, I was so mortified. And finally, after eight hours, I'm just like, fine, it's good enough. Let's just send it in. Like, I don't really care. Oh, good. Like you can feel like I'm trying to like get mm-hmm. frustration and stuff. Mm-hmm. Like this is how we are. We're so judgy and critical and mean to ourselves. So I sent off the video and then she says, She gets like 300 videos from all of her clients. Mm -hmm. And then she says, we're going to make all these videos public because they're so awesome. And I'm like, no, you can't do that. And I had (laughs) migraine for three days. I was furious. I was throwing up. And then I won. And I'm like, oh God, oh God, oh God, now what? Right? Like I was just making up a whole bunch of BS, right? Mm -hmm. I was just totally in my head about making up a bunch of BS. So that's another example of how I was just like totally tying my knickers in a wad. I didn't have knickers on and it made zero difference. Like I was actually so afraid to shine my light. I was so afraid to be seen. I was so afraid to be visible. At what point did that switch flip for you? At what point did that stop happening or does it still happen? Cause you're, I mean, nobody else is going to see the video that we've got today. Cause I only use the audio, but you're very comfortable on camera, it seems. When did that flip for you? Well, you know, I think of another example. So when I, I hired John Asraf and I bought a program that is a 997 program. It's called NeuroGym, Winning the Game of Money. And I bought this program a number of years ago and I was so afraid to let anybody know I was doing this. I didn't even tell my husband. I bought it on the down low. I didn't tell him and I had this idea, well, I'll tell him after I make the money, after Mm -hmm. I prove that I'm good enough, which is another thing that we do when we're living in our heads. We think we need to prove we're good enough. No, you don't. You're good enough right now. You're worthy (laughs) right now. You're awesome right now. So anyway, I did this program with him, which is a binaural brain training. And at some point, John Asraf does the same thing that his other coach did, where he said, make a video tell us what you learned. So I made a video and I shared what I learned and I decided I wanted to be one of the featured guests on his brainathon. I made a vision board. I looked at it every day. I meditated on it every day. I decided I'm going to be one of the people that gets to sit on the couch with John Asraf and he's going to interview you. And I'm going to like, I'm going to meet the guy. And that's exactly what happened. He invited me to be a guest on the Brainathon. You can still find it somewhere mm-hmm. if you're interested, you know, find me and I'll get you the link to it. And in that interview, I remember he asked me to say out loud how much money had I made up to that point. I'd been meditating with him for about maybe it was about a year, it was probably about exactly a year. And he asked me, "How much money have you made so far?" 
And I was like, oh God, I can't say that. I can't say it out loud. I, like so many, like millions of people. He has millions and millions of followers. To me, he's kind of a household name. Like he's like a soul brother to me. And he was like, say it. I'm like, uh, and like this John Asraf saying like, say it. And so I'm like, okay, well, so right now I've made about, I think it was about $170,000. And I was so embarrassed. I was so embarrassed. I was like, I made, and to this day, I have never watched that video and clients watch the video and they call me up and I'm now well beyond that, Mm -hmm. but I was so embarrassed. I had what Brene Brown calls a vulnerability hangover to say, Mm -hmm. this is how much money I made. So a year later I was hosting a summit and I invited John to be one of the experts on the summit I was hosting. So now the tables are turned and I get to interview him. And at the end of it, the camera was off and I asked him, what's my next step? You know, I so honor you. I so respect you. I'm so grateful to you and everything you've taught me. And what do I do next? And he said, make a hundred days of video. And I was like, is there anything else? Like, I don't want to do that. Tell me something else to do. And he said, I just told you make a hundred days of videos. And I did. And somewhere in that first hundred day sprint, something shifted. And in fact, I decided I was going to do a 108 day sprint. So I did 108 days in a row of live videos. You can find them somewhere. I think they're all on my YouTube channel. And then I recently just did it again this year. I did another hundred days of video. So somewhere in the first hundred days of live video, something began to shift. And I think that's a great challenge for any of you who are listening to assign yourself. Because what's going to happen when you do 100 days of live video or 100 days of podcast or 100 days of somehow making yourself visible and audible is all your stuff is going to come up like, I don't have anything to say, or I'm boring, or I'm too much, or I'm too smart, or Mm -hmm. I don't know anything, or people don't like the sound of my voice, or whatever it is, your stuff is going to come up. People are sick of me, right? And, you know, the reality is your ideal people love you. And every time you're online, they're like, oh my God, I got to hear her live. Every time you're on Clubhouse, they're going to tune in because they love you. And I can see why people would love listening to you because you've got great stories (laughs) and you're quite inspirational in telling how you flopped and overcame and all of that. And, And I'm sitting here listening. I mean, I'm obviously quite comfortable on camera and I don't mind going live at all either. But the thought of 100 days of live videos I got to say, that would be difficult even for me. Mm, Do it. Yeah, Yeah, do it. (laughs) One of them, you know, somebody wrote to me and they're like, Deborah, you should really floss your teeth. And I was like, you know what? The thing that you're seeing that looks like spinach in my teeth is actually a space. Like that's my God-given mouth, right? Like people will judge you. People will find fault with you. Your perfectionism stuff will be up. And it's so healing Mm -hmm. for you to just ignore it. Just let those little naysayers that live in your head, let them have a party and you just do your thing. You just spread your message. You just be love. So you're quite visible on your social media. Do you get a lot of hate from it? Do you get a lot of negativity? Because that's one of the things people fear is all of the negativity that they're going to get when they do a hundred videos. I recently did, and it was fascinating. I posted in a group that has close to 500,000 members. And I posted something very simple, like 
I just closed over $117,000 in sales in a weekend. Would you like to know how I did it? That's true. I -hmm. did just close $117,000 in sales in a couple of days. And I did it through meditation. I did it through the anatomy of money work that Mm -hmm. I now teach. I did it through an awareness that I now teach of what's possible. And there was nothing sleazy or salesy or pushy or gross or icky about it. It was, you know, it was a week of meditation and embodiment practices. And I got so much pushback that, you know, and people said, you're slimy, you're sleazy, you're an MLM, you're, and I'm like, really? Like, what MLM do you think I'm part of? Mm. And not that there's anything wrong with an MLM, but people were projecting all kinds of stuff onto me. They were saying, this is abusive. You're lying. We don't trust you. And, you know, people's reactions say volumes about them. They don't say very much about me. They don't know me. And it was very interesting for me to watch and to stay centered, to stay unwavering in what I know is true. You know, there was a moment where I actually opened up the post, I clicked edit, and I had my finger on the delete button. And I thought, am I going to let these haters make a decision about who I think I am and the value I think I have to offer? And I did not delete the post. I decided, no, that would be giving more power to something outside of me, to letting somebody's hatred or disgust or judgment of me or whatever it is, letting that control me. And Mm -hmm. that's not what I teach. And that's not what I stand for. And that wouldn't be me being sovereign. So I didn't hit delete. I in fact leaned in with more love and I got really curious about "Hmm, like, what would you like to know? What kinds of questions do you have? It was a hard one. Like I could feel my whole body responding in fear of, wow, people don't like me. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that we need to overcome, especially as entrepreneurs, especially as women entrepreneurs, is the fear that people won't like us. There will be people who don't like you, and there will be people who don't like your success. There will be people who don't like that your success seems to be easy. And nothing is easy or hard. It's simply the story you tell of it. Mm-hmm. I want to say one last thing about haters. And this is something I heard from Trent Shelton. And he said, haters are confused followers. (laughs) Haters are those who actually really want the thing that they see you having. And they're angry that they don't have it. So they put a lot of energy towards you, towards taking you down a notch, because they're actually very intrigued by what it is that you've done. Yeah. And I think when people... I mean, I see posts like that all the time. And in a lot of cases, I jump to the conclusion, I make the assumptions that there's something, I don't have all the information, which obviously you didn't give all the information in that post. But I think we've seen so many sleazy marketing tactics in the last, well, since the internet, but forever, really, that we kind of wrongly assume that everything is a sleazy marketing tactic. So how do we overcome that with authenticity? I love this question. I love this question. I just had an exchange yesterday with someone and this person asked me something about how did I have a six-figure launch in a week and what did I learn? 
And I shared something like, I learned that I don't need a script, which is, you know, exactly what I've been sharing with you all along that Mm -hmm. I thought I needed a script for my first webinar. And then I didn't have one. I thought I needed it for the video that I did for eight hours. And eventually, you know, I just, I just had to make it up. And when we just give ourselves permission to make it up, we're stepping into the creator with capital C shoes. We're stepping into the role of I'm creating my life. I'm creating my reality. I'm being my authentic self. I'm not going to react to all these conditions that I've been taught that I'm supposed to contort myself with. So this person said, how'd you have a six figure launch? And I said, I learned, I don't need a script. I learned that I can trust my intuition and I can be present and be my authentic self. And she wrote back, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about, and she wrote in all caps, real strategies. I'm like, that is my real strategy. Like my real strategy isn't having a whole bunch of bells and whistles. And, you know, I make every mistake in the book and they're not even mistakes, but I give myself permission. I give myself grace to just show up fully being truthful in alignment with me, mm-hmm. because if I'm trying to do what somebody else says I should be doing, I'm trying to do them and I'll never succeed fully in doing it their way because I'm not them, mm-hmm. right? Like copycatting only gets you so far. You can take a template, but you've got to infuse it with your personality and your experience and your wisdom and the stuff that you find amusing. Yeah. I talk about that a lot in social media training that, you know, there's a gazillion to use your words, a gazillion templates out there that people could use for their social media, but they're built by a specific business person. And so they're built for that business person. And it's never going to work exactly for you. You have to put your own personality into it. You have to take the pieces that work for you. So that's why I I don't teach templates. I teach a process and figuring out what's going to work for you. This conversation is just so good for the people who are listening to this podcast about all the ways that You've been Flossom. What would you say is your number one tip for people who are having trouble leaning into these fears? They're having trouble being themselves online. What's your number one tip for them to help them have that growth mindset or help them get over that fear of pushing the button? If you're having trouble being yourself, it's probably affecting everything you do. Probably affecting your relationships. It's probably affecting your business. It's probably affecting your body, it's probably affecting your joy. So community, when you're stuck in your head and you're just like iterating on everything that's wrong with you, that's a good way to amplify everything that you believe is wrong with you. So I would recommend that you find some kind of a community, whether it's an online community, whether you join a coaching or mentorship program where there's a group of people, but you've got to see beyond yourself. You've got to see that the stories that you're making up about you are simply stories that you're making up about you. And you could make up some better stories about you. And when people are operating from this come from of there's something wrong with me, I can't do this. It's a subconscious conditioning. So the next step would be for you to involve yourself with a deeper level of personal development. And you can read a book, but book reading is only going to get you so far because book reading is going in through Mm -hmm. the brain, right? Mm -hmm. You've got to do some kind of embodiment practice. So I'd recommend that you find somebody who's a mindset coach or who does EMDR, who does tapping. That's a modality that I use a lot, tapping, because Mm -hmm. it will cut through any kind of subconscious conditioning 
like taking a ballpoint pen on a record. Remember the old days of records, LPs? Mm -hmm. If you take a ballpoint pen and you go back and forth over the grooves of the record, you can't play the record anymore. And tapping does this. It literally interrupts these old subconscious negative thought forms that take us out of the game, that self-deprecate us, that sabotage us. And it interrupts that so that you can no longer play that record. And then it helps you replace it with something that's more empowering and liberating and joyful for you. EMDR, EFT, breath work. There are lots of modalities, Reiki, yoga, lots and lots of different kinds of meditation. You know, a silent meditation is probably not going to work for you. If you live in your head in the beginning, you'll do better with guided meditations, with Kundalini meditations that involve mudra and breath and eye gaze. And, and you know, that give your brain something to do because your conscious mind wants to alight on something its job, it wants to alight on something. Your conscious mind is like a dragonfly that's constantly flittering around and it's looking for like, what can I land on? What can I land on? And the analytical problem solving conscious mind loves to analyze and solve problems. Therefore, it's going to create problems so that it has something to do. It's simply the nature of mind. So when we give ourselves meditation practices that use mudra, that is hand positions or breath work or guided things, it's easier for the mind to slow down and land on, even if it's one breath at a time, it's easier to slow the mind down, which mm -hmm. will help you begin to allow all the other stuff to rise. Well, I definitely need to slow down somehow. <laughs> maybe I need to get back into yoga. It's been a long time since I did any yoga. So maybe that's something I'll have to look into. And interestingly, I actually am scheduled to attend a webinar about tapping to learn more about that. So interesting that you should bring that up. So maybe I'll have to have my tapping person come on the podcast and tell us how that can make a difference. Tell us how we can connect with you. Yes. So I have a Facebook group that's free. It's called the Anatomy of Money Academy. And if you just type into the search bar mm -hmm. in Facebook, Anatomy of Money Academy, you'll find that. And we'd love to have you there. I teach pretty much every day, some kind of neuro juju. There's a lot of tapping in there. If you're interested in learning more about tapping, join the Facebook group, Anatomy of Money Academy. Once you're there, you can download a free book that's called Turn On Your Tap, which is all about tapping and how to use tapping to increase the flow of abundance and freedom in your life. Interesting. Now I have to go join the group because I've really very much enjoyed this conversation and I look forward to seeing all of that neuro juju that you're sharing in the group. Thank you so much for joining me today. I think people are going to really enjoy this conversation. Thanks so much for having me. I've loved talking to you. Thanks for listening to Beef Blossom, the Good Enough podcast. Before you leave, don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss next week's episode when I'll be talking to another perfectly imperfect entrepreneur. If you're looking for the show notes, head on over to beeflossom.ca, where you'll also find all the links to connect with today's guest.